Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, November 5th, 2023, called Through the Eyes of Matthew, The Beatitudes, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a sermon outline if you'd like to, uh, like to follow along. You know, we... Uh, I was telling folks at 8.30, if, if anyone watches this online, by the way, if you're joining us online, welcome. Delighted that you're here with us. I'm hoping this is a better sermon than at 8.30. I had a hard time getting through it. I got a little bit overwhelmed. There's just, there's just things going on. People are hurting and the world is a hurting place. And I just got a little bit overwhelmed in reading and hearing these words. We're going to show you a movie clip in a minute. Not a movie clip, but from The Chosen, where Jesus actually... The way they portray it is Matthew is kind of like Jesus' scribe, kind of his secretary, and Jesus is kind of dictating to him uh, the words of this sermon. And I want to just show you that little clip where he says, hey, I figured out how to start it. And then you'll see this. And it's powerful because, well, anyway, we call this the greatest sermon ever. Like we did the Lord's Prayer. Like we pray the Lord's Prayer every time. Do you know why we do that? Because Jesus said, when you pray, say this. We don't think that's optional. Jesus says, when you pray, say this. I mean, I think it's a a very healthy practice for every Christian to uh, say that prayer at the end of the day, to begin your day. Um, It's just, we call it, right? How could it be a better, can there be a better prayer? It's not the only prayer we pray, pray, right? We pray all the time, all kinds of different ways. But boy, that's a good one. Pretty good source, right? Uh, But the same thing here we kind of say about sermons you know, over the years, and I, it's funny, when I go back and look at my early sermons, I still have cassette tapes of my early sermons. And every once in a great while, I'll be looking for something that I, that a topic I talked on or a class I taught, and I'll listen to it. And I like get in about three or four minutes and I'm horrified. I'm just horrified at the things I inflicted upon God's people. Um, and uh, hopefully you get better as it goes. You know, in other churches, I'll tell you, sermons are tricky for pastors because um, they're very kind of dear to us in the sense of you, you, you work it all the time. It was very different than when I was a classroom teacher. You know, the, as a classroom teacher, you could build your curriculum and then tweak it. With sermons, you got to come up with something new every time. You know, it's, not, it's considered poor form to go and just recycle your old sermon. You keep working and allowing God's word to work on you. So I get people who would say things. I had one guy in the last church I was at in Portland, and he would come out. He's a grumpy old dude. He would always come out, and he would say, well, that one was a little better. <laughs> Thanks a lot. That was exciting. Um, but, you know, so here's this model of this sermon that Jesus gives. And he, Jesus himself doesn't call it a sermon. It's kind of interesting in The Chosen that they kind of describe it, that Jesus keeps saying, I'm planning a big sermon and all that. It doesn't seem to really appear that way from, the, from it. There were just lots and lots of people gathering, wanting to hear Jesus. And this thing may have extended over several days. And of course, when you just sit down and read, it takes you 15 minutes, 20 minutes. You just read this thing. And so clearly, it's highlights and it's key points and it's what, were the, what's, what was the real heart of what Jesus was trying to tell him, and he begins this way. And it's kind of, it's really kind of, 
it's worth taking note. There are certain times when Jesus does things, we should really stop and take note and, and not just go over it real fast. So I, wanna, I want you to see this clip and see how the, the people in The Chosen kind of uh, used it to have Jesus speak it into the hearts and lives of his disciples in particular. Let's go ahead. And... Matthew, Matthew. Bye-bye. I've got it. The opening? Yes. What is it? A map. The what? Directions where people should look to find me. Okay, give me a moment. are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Yes, but how is it the map? If someone wants to find me, those are the groups they should look for. You are the salt of the earth. I really like their interpretation of, of that, especially as they show those back scenes. You know, blessed are the... You know, the, the poor in spirit, those who, 
who feel spiritually impoverished, those who are mourning, those who show mercy. And he gave little different vignettes of the various of his followers and how that would impact him. And, um, and I just love this interpretation of, of imagining, and, and not just imagining it, knowing that Jesus speaks these words to you. He's not speaking them about someone. He's speaking them to you. And so, but it's upside down. It is so upside down. Here's another way I wanted you to look at it today is like on All Saints Day. Like what's, what, what's on a saint's resume? I, I mean, if you go into the Catholic Church and, and they have a, there's a way you get to become a saint. There's a series of criteria. So many verified miracles and so many, I don't know, recommendations by bishops or cardinals or the Pope or whatever. So many years of being faithful. And, and you know, there's a, there's a kind of a thing. And I kind of get it in the sense of um, you're honoring people who are really wonderful examples of the faith. We, we don't play it that way. We, I mean, we love that, like, we love all the saints of God. In fact, it would be fun to have this conversation if I said, turn to someone next to you. Don't worry, I'm not going to do it. But if I said, turn to someone next to you and say, who is that person in your life who modeled faith for you? Who modeled that for you? My mom, who modeled faith for you? Um, and how did they do it? That's the saints of God, right? Um, and, and not because their resume is so good, but because, here's the thing, not because they were so great, but because God was so great in them. You get me? That's why the Beatitudes is a resume for the saints of God, because it begins with, blessed are the spiritually impoverished. And think about who Jesus was having this contentious discussion with constantly. The religious people of the day. They had a resume, didn't they? they? They had a resume. They had a whole series of boxes they were checking off. I have never, I have always observed the Sabbath. I have never violated the dietary rules. I have always been faithful to my wife. I have, right? I have always gone to the temple for festivals. I have always made proper sacrifices. Are you with me? Can Christians do that too? Oh, yeah. And we can do it, constantly keeping score. And so that Jesus starts it off like, and I, I like the way he interprets this. That's not in the Bible where he says it's a map to find me. I like it, though. I like it. Because wherever you see this, you're going to see me. That's what he's saying. If you see people who are happy to be those things, you will find me. And, and this is really kind of cool on All Saints Day to be able to say, this is the measure, the mark of the saints of God. Is the, is, and so there's three parts and, and, um, that I see in this. There's a condition part. Jesus is describing our condition in the Beatitudes. Because I've taught this another way, where you start at the most basic and it kind of keeps ratcheting up in Christian faith and depth and richness. Because the beginning is, blessed are those who know, they, who know that they're nothing. They're spiritually zero. And then it goes all the way up to, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. And are joyful about that. That they had the privilege of being, you see what I mean? So along the way, blessed are, blessed, he, he kind of rests. So I've taught it that way. 
But I want to show you today, it's, it's talking about our condition. Jesus is saying, here's our condition, here's the resume. Our condition, our character, and our commission. So the first one is our condition. Um, I, it's a really interesting thing. When we lived in Japan, J- Japan is a very... We've had missionaries there since the, uh, since the mid-19th century. And um, Christianity has never succeeded in Japan. It just has never succeeded. And it's interesting because if you want to know how Christianity is succeeding around the world, look at Africa, look at South America, look at Asia. It's going nuts. One out of three human beings on the planet confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. And many of those are in persecuted situations where it's not easy nor comfortable to be a Christian. I'm just telling you, it's amazing that the the Beatitudes are being lived out in powerful, tangible, real ways in those places. But in Japan, we have have not succeeded. So Teresa and I spent not quite two years there uh, teaching early in our marriage. We're just brand new married. And and we love being part of a Christian community. The school we taught in was a Lutheran school. It was a middle school and a high school. 2,000 kids. 10% Christian, 1% Lutheran. There were like 20 Lutheran kids in that whole school, or teachers and kids. It was something. They do not have a grasp of sin there. You know how they define sin? Like I told one of the teachers who said he was a Christian. And he said, oh, I've never sinned. That's what he said. I was talking to him about how hard it was to describe this to the kids, you know, or in Bible classes and stuff. And he said, oh, I've never sinned. And I'm kind of like... I thought to myself, well, I'm sinning right now considering your stupid comment. Um, <laughs> Teresa remembers this too, yeah. And, um, and I said, what do you mean? What do you mean? We all do. We're all, we're all broken. He said, I'm not. I said, in fact, this is what I kind of come to discover. It's a very foreign concept, the idea of the condition of sin. Um, and, and in fact, they understand that they might do things wrong, but it's only sin if you get caught. So it was really an interesting thing. Talk about a scorekeeping culture. Okay? It's, you know, because it's about honor. It's a shame and honor kind of situation. And it's a problem. They don't get a condition. Jesus is talking about our condition. Because he, for Jesus to do work, here's the thing. We constantly, and I'm guilty of this myself, it is so easy to fall into this. Okay, Jesus, I just need a little help with this thing. Just get me over the top on this one. If you'll just give me a boost, a booster shot, an energy bar, give me a little bit of extra grace here. I'm over the top. I got this. And I believe that the Sermon on the Mount illustrates that the best and healthiest and most blessed way to approach God is to say, God, I got nothing here. My history, my thoughts, my pattern has shown I really got nothing here. I need everything from you. If we don't start from zero and go with you, it's not going to end well. If I'm, I, if, if, my, if I'm in the mix on this, my brokenness is going to mess it up. What Jesus is saying is the way we start is from zero. I love this scene. I often say it's my favorite. It is, it's just absolutely stunning when you read it in the scriptures. There's a, very, uh, there's a woman from a very pagan, very Gentile, very, I mean, it's like a Hamas terrorist coming and talking to Jesus and saying, and needs healing. 
and is pegging and pleading. It's a woman, Syrophoenician woman, if you want to look it up. Syrophoenician woman, pagan, Gentile, worships false gods, the hot mess, comes to Jesus, has a, heat, a condition she, she needs right, and longs to have Jesus to heal her. And Jesus says the most un-Jesus thing in all of Scripture, in all of his words. He says the most un-Jesus-like thing. You know what he says? He says, I didn't come for dogs like you. I didn't come for the dogs, is what he says. Wow. But her response blows him away. She says, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus is overwhelmed. I've never seen... Because you know what she just said? She said, I am zero. I need you to be everything in me. Look, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give away the sermon here. I'm not going to build it up because I blew it at the first service. I got emotional and overwhelmed and I didn't, I didn't do a good job. So if you didn't want... I got to tell the people at 8.30 to watch this one. I'm already doing better. Um, but this is really the sermon. I need you to hear this. What the, what the Beatitudes is saying is this. Jesus is saying, because it's so upside down, because, again, I've said this in Bible class, in all kinds of places, Christianity is the only faith system in the world, in the world's history, that says we are nothing so that God can be everything. We have to, we have to be zero so that God can fill us completely. It's not us building a resume so that God will somehow like us, but rather God sharing his with us undeserved, unearned. It's completely upside down. And so the whole idea of the Beatitudes is for us to, like I've been telling you for weeks with Matthew and stuff, so many of the parables are about Jesus telling Matthew, stop keeping score. Stop. Balance sheets, resumes, stop keeping score. This is it again. He's saying go to zero because when we come, this is why we do, I'm squirreling, this is bad. Why we do confession every, every week. You know what we're really saying? We're really saying, God, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not figuring this out right. I want to, I don't. I know my weaknesses. I know where I fail. I long to honor you in my life. I don't, I don't got it, though. I long to represent you better with others. I long to be faithful. I want to grow in your word. I want to be strong in your promise. I want to be confident in you. I want to show kind, all those things. That's us every week, just being honest. God, I don't. And so it's the key really is to say in confession, that's why we do it every week. Lord, I'm emptying now. This is the empty moment. This is the spigot at the bottom, opening it up. All of me is draining out. Would you please fill me up now? That's why we do it at the beginning. And it's not always easy because we're not always ready to say it. The confession stuff. You know, you're juggling kids and you got things going on and maybe it was tense in the morning and this isn't that. Now you walk into church and now we're going to say, okay, you really, we got to confess our sins. But it's the right way to go because we're emptying. We're turning the spigot, pouring us out, and saying, God, fill me up. That's what this is. So the first one is, what's our condition? It's God, it's, and, and this is the idea. And then, um, our, and God is acting to correct our condition. How? By filling us with himself. His promise, his word. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Blessed are those who mourn. You know what that means? It means grieving at the condition of the world. The first one is personal. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm a hot mess. Second one is, world's a hot mess. And I'm part of that. That's our condition. And then because of it, people are often persecuted, reviled. That's the condition. So the condition is setting the stage for God to be more in me. This is, again, this is really the sermon. We want God to hear. Let me read the story that illustrates it. This is cool. So there's a little girl who listened to a sermon and drove home talking to her mom. And she says, Mom, there's something in the sermon this morning I don't understand. Mom said, what is it? Little girl said, well, the pastor said God is bigger than we are. He said God is so big that he could hold the whole world in his hand. Is that true? Mom said, you bet. But Mommy, he also said that God comes to live inside of us when we believe in Jesus as our Savior. Is that true too? Again, the mother assured the little girl that what the pastor had said was true. With a puzzled look on her face, the little girl then asked, if God is bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he stick out? (laughs) That's what Jesus is after. So filled with the presence and promise of God that he sticks out. See, second one is character. So the first one is Jesus being honest with us about our condition. Second one is character. So... On a resume, you know, I, there's been lots of instances. I remember a few years ago, a lot of college football coaches had cheated on their resumes to get a better gig, to get a promotion. I am guessing this happens a lot. I know that when I, I, I've done a lot of hiring in a lot of settings, not just here, but at, at, on boards of regents and on various boards of directors, I've been involved with hiring processes dozens of times. And many of you have too. When you get a resume, the resume is filled with accomplishments, isn't it? It's just filled with accomplishments. If they got an award, where, if their GPA was good, if they got an advanced degree, if they took special classes in this, if they got commendations, right? On and on and on and on. You know what's not in a resume? Character. I almost don't care about your accomplishments anymore. That you were published five times? Any idiot can get published. That you have letters after your name? Let me tell you how easy that is to do in certain settings. I, you get, I, don't forgive me. Character is a whole other animal. Are you ready to work? Are you willing to sacrifice? Do you understand the mission? Character is what God is ta- Jesus is talking about here. I don't care about your list of accomplishments. I don't care about the letters after your name. I don't care how much you gave to church, how often you came. I don't care. I mean, I don't care. That's the wrong thing to say. If you care about them too much, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy about that. Right? God loves it when we're together. God loves it when we're generous. All those things. But it's a different thing. And so it's not about our resume, resume padding. God acts to correct our condition, but then to form our character so that God sticks out. So that we, because in our resume building, even in our Christian lives, we want to say, how many good things can I show off? And all we want to show off is the Jesus in us. How big is Jesus in us? And we want him to be, we want him to be much in us. So here's, a, here's me being pretty straight with you. Last week, and then I was at a board meeting in Portland just the last two days, people always ask, how are things going at church? 
And I said, boy, we're blessed in lots of ways. And our school is a great blessing. And I love the people I work with. And I love what I get to do. But I, and they said, boy, you seem, you're, you're saying that kind of hesitantly. What's wrong? And I said, well, and I shared this with my staff and with the elders. I said, I've been in ministry since 1986 in a whole number of places, Eugene, Oregon, and, and Seattle, and Portland, and Pocatello. And I said, in all those years, this is the first year where I am considering taking chairs out of my sanctuary because, we don't, because our numbers are still not recovered. People have still chosen not to return. It's much harder to do this. And I, I want our group to feel more intimate, more comfortable, more safe. Yeah. That's the first time ever. And I was, and I was like, because I want heaven to be full. I want as many people as possible to know about the promises which God has given. I'm longing for that. I, I think it's what God has designed me to do. Um, and so I fret over that. Well, so it reminded me, my, my district president, who I love dearly, Paul Lineman, he said to me, let me remind you of something. He said... I see how you're counting. And he said, God doesn't count like that. He said, <laughs> he said, God only counts to one. He just counts to one. That one, and that one, and that one. And those I can rejoice in all day long. Every day, all day long. One at a time. And so I'm grateful for that. You know, the, the play Les Mis uh, and the book by Victor Hugo, the book is awesome. It's about four inches thick, but it's phenomenal. What a great play. It's my favorite play of all time. And uh, I've seen it in lots of settings and lots of places. I saw it in New York City on Broadway the year, you know, when it came out. And uh, it's really interesting. In the book, Jean Valjean is the, kind of the main kind of character, and he is uh, thrown in prison for many, many years for stealing bread to feed his family. And then he's released, and when he's released, he can't get a job anywhere because he's convicted. He's a convict. No one will give him a job. Finally, he stumbles up to the cathedral or the, the parish church or whatever, and the priest brings him in and welcomes him in. Jean Valjean is astonished by his graciousness, and yet he spies the silverware that's there, and the bishop is so gullible, so naive, so trusting, that Jean Valjean grabs up all the silverware and then runs off with it. And the police are alerted, and, and, and yet once the police are alerted and they're chasing after Valjean, the bishop's reaction was not what we, could, what we might expect. As he thought about it, I'm going to read this to you. Instead of being angry and offering condemnation, the bishop examines his own behavior and finds himself lacking in charity. Here he's, he's speaking here. I have for a long time wrongfully withheld this silver. It belonged to the poor. Who was this man? A poor man. So when the police arrive with the captured Valjean, the bishop's silver in his possession, the bishop calmly greets the thief and says, But I gave you the candlesticks also. Why did you not take them along with the plates? The police, surprised and confused, reluctantly let the thief go. Valjean expects blame and condemnation for his actions. Instead, he receives forgiveness and mercy. He expects hatred, and instead he receives love. And at that moment, evil is transformed into good. It is upside down. 
God is forming our character. God, God is emptying us and he is forming our character so that he might be more in us. That he might be more, so he might stick out. So our commission is also upside down. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the peacemakers. God is acting through us to do his will. This is a map to find Jesus. It's a resume of his saints, empty but filled with Christ. Um, the last quote I want to give you, I just want to finish with this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran minister in Nazi Germany, and he remained faithful. He refused to acquiesce to the state church, and he continued, and he lost his life. He, he was imprisoned and executed and lost his life for it. But he was a, a faithful uh, author. He writes a book called The Cost of Discipleship and so forth. Here's what he says. Having reached the end of the Beatitudes, the persecuted, the reviled, right, we naturally ask if there is any place on this earth for the community which Jesus is describing. <laughs> Clearly. There is one place and only one and that is where the poorest, the meekest, and the most sorely tried of all men is to be found. And that is on the cross at Golgotha. The community which is the subject of the Beatitudes is the community of the crucified. With him, it has lost everything. But with him, it has found all. That Christ would be great in us to the praise and honor. This is the resume of the saints of God. It's his resume. It's what he has done and continues to do. To God be the glory. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.